talk about two things today, camels and joy. Um, there's only two things I'm asking for you today is that you laugh at my jokes, even if they're not funny, because it's Christmas and it's joyful time, so fake it. And I have a lot of scriptures I'm going to put up there. Just read all the words that come on the screen. Uh, the rest of the stuff uh, I'm going to say is really important, but it's mostly about, uh, about joy that I found uh, getting ready for this. Last week, Derek talked about peace. Uh, we're in Advent, and so I get the easy one, right? Joy, you just get up here and talk about being happy and joyful and glad and all that stuff, right? Everybody likes that, right? That's what we do. We want to be happy, right? Yeah, joy to the world, Christmas. You're supposed to walk around and just be happy, right? <laughs> but seriously, I'm not joking. Like, if you look at the totality of, like, the human experience, what really drives a lot of our daily activity? It's like the pursuit of just being Happy, like Will Smith in that movie, The Pursuit of Happiness. Um, I don't remember what that movie's about, but I just, I told myself not to say that. I just like, don't, because that's dumb. But thank you for laughing. You guys are already participating uh, very well, right? But right, well, like, think about why we do, what, what we do all the time when we get up every day. What drives a lot of our behavior? It's this, this looking for satisfaction, for happiness, peace, joy. What drives our uh, activities, hobbies. Why do we do our hobbies? Because it makes us happy. We, I was surfing a few days ago with a buddy. A buddy surfed at the pier uh, with this guy right here, and we surfed for over two hours, and I wouldn't have done it if he didn't press me to do it, and we had so much fun. I was very happy, you know, like you do those kind of things, whatever your hobby is or the things that you like to do, you do them. Relationships. Why do we pursue relationships? We usually pick relationships with people that make us happy, right? Not ones that make us unhappy, uh, what, entertainment. Think about, I mean, especially in America, we are all about entertainment, right? We, why do we entertain ourselves so much? Because we think it makes us happy. And um, that's a good thing. You can experience happiness in this world, right? We should, there's nothing wrong with going after happiness at all. And I don't want to say that. But what I do want to say is I want to tell you a story about one of the most happy times I ever saw Sarah, my wife. And it wasn't on our wedding day. She was very happy that day. She's marrying this guy. Um, but it wasn't then. It wasn't at the birth of our, our three biological kids. That was a happy day, too. It wasn't when we uh, adopted our fourth kid. Um, those were happy times. It was the time that she watched me ride a camel. It was the happiest I've ever seen her. And I have video proof that I'm going to show you in a minute. But I got, wait, don't start it yet. Okay, pause. Okay, did you see that? This is real. What I'm about to tell you actually happened. So, uh, 2020, usually, you know, preachers can just embellish, and they're like, no way, that never happened. It happened. I'm not, I'm not lying. So in 2012, we went to Uganda to adopt our fourth child, Kennedy. He was six years old, and people often ask me, actually, whenever they find out I have adopted a child, they ask me a lot, like, why did you do that? What was it? Was it dry, you know, is it because you're spiritual, Christian, or you just all these, what made you want to do it? And uh, the simplest way I can say is, it was not super spiritual. It's just when we went over there and we saw him for the first time, the only way I can describe it, and it wasn't like super emotional. I know I'm the cry guy. But it was just like this, the very first time I saw him, it was like this knowing in my heart I was supposed to be his dad and he was supposed to be my kid. Like just like that. And Sarah would say the same thing. It was like the initial thing. And so long story, it's a long uh, story, and I'll tell you more about it at another time. But we had to go to Uganda to get him. And we had to stay there for almost a month. And it was a long process. We had to go to the, we had to get custody from them from the, the Ugandan government. And then when we did that, we had to go to the U.S. Em embassy and get permission 
to bring him back here. And there, the embassy was, the adoption day was one day a week. So we got, it's like you had to wait five, six days to get an appointment. And, and there's a whole crazy story about the, the Ugandan uh, uh, municipality that we went through to get the uh, permission to, to have this little boy, you know. But it's boring. Like th- those are the longest three and a half weeks ever. There is nothing to do. Like we're very used to, uh, I mean, we entertain ourselves easily now. I mean, TV, you're never bored. Americans have forgotten how to be bored. I was so bored. Every day was 24 hours felt like 48. And there's no TV. Like there is a TV in the little hotel room, but the power goes out all the time. So can't watch that. We just got this new little guy who doesn't speak English. And he is happy as can be, man. He's got us. He's got her. Uh, We're just eating out because what do you do? And it's African food. It's not like, you know, super settling to your stomach. He was fine. I mean, Kennedy was pumped. But me and Sarah, like Sarah ended up by the end of the trip eating bananas and Coke every day. That was, that was our diet for like the last week and a half. So anyway, nothing to do. Every day is boring. And so we're like, we've got to find some way to entertain us. He seemed totally, totally fine. Uh, he would just watch, uh, uh, what was that? Be- Backyardigans. You ever heard, parents ever heard of back? He'd watch it on his little iPod and he couldn't, he couldn't speak. <laughs> he couldn't speak English, but he would mock it. Ah, you ma. Like he'd sing it. He had his headphones on. Abacha, abacha, abacha. That's what he would sound like. He'll be here in the second service. I won't do that. He'll be really mad. Uh, um, so we find out we get to go. There's a zoo. Like, oh, let's go to the zoo. That'll be fun. Not boring. So we go and get in the car. Uh, we have a driver guy take us. Uh, there's stories about him too. Man, I got to get those things out. I got to get to the point. So we get to the zoo. Now, this zoo in Uganda is not like zoos here. I mean, it's very loose. Like, they don't have the regulations that we do. It's it's very unsafe, I felt, immediately. Like, you walk into the zoo, and I'm not kidding, their monkeys don't get cages. <laughs> they ha- their monkeys are there, like, right there with you. It was, like, very scary, you know. And we're white, and so we're, like, some of the only, these monkeys are, like, whoa. And they're <laughs> looking at you, and they're very comfortable with humans. I am very uncomfortable with these monkeys. You know, I've heard they throw poop and stuff, so I'm a little bit like, is this guy getting ready to do one of those things, you know? And it was just so weird, and they're jumping all over, and they're not like gorillas. They're some type of monkey that's pretty big to me. Um, I didn't like it. So we're walking around. I'm like, is someone going to corral these monkeys? You know, like, you get doing one of these head on a swivel deal. You know, you don't want to jump. I kept picturing one just, ah, jumping on my back. Really, truly, I'm not being funny. It was a little bit scary to me. Uh, but since Sarah just walks through life with love and grace and peace, she didn't seem worried about it at all. And so there was even a lion pen. I'm not joking. The only thing keeping you in the lion lion from eating you was a six-foot chain-link fence. You see all that video. Don't start it yet. I have a red shirt on, and I was trying to find Kennedy, so I jogged by the lion pen. And, dude, the lion came out from the clearing. Like, giant feet, head huge, fence, lion. That's it. And he was so quiet, like you didn't hear, and I'm like jogging, I look like an antelope or something, I look over and he's like right there, I'll never forget it, it looked like he was looking into my soul with his eyes, just giant feet moving next to me really closely, I'm like, oh my God, he could eat me, it was very scary, so anyway, we did to the camel, so we finally, we get to this thing where you can ride a camel, you paid this guy a little bit of money, and you can ride the camel, I've told you before, if you've been here before, I'm a cowboy and I'm good at all those kind of things. So it's like, I can ride a camel. But camels are weird. When I actually got up next to it, they have like a giant hump in the middle. And like they lay it all the way down like a dog. 
and he's big, and the guy that's like not speaking good English, he's like, you want to ride the camel? And I'm like, you know, I, I'm going to commentate it because I couldn't get the sound, but, but I'm like, are you going to put the blanket on the camel right there? You're like a saddle. And so I'm a little jazzed up, and Sarah's watching this whole thing, and my little boy's just running around, you know, there's, and I'm nervous. So like, I do the thing, I get on there, and I, I strat, straddle the thing, and I'm like, whew, you know, and you're kind of sitting way back on the, I know this is funny looking, doing this at church, but this is how I'm sitting on this camel laying on the ground, and I'm just like, all right, man, like, what do we, you know, I'm feeling it. All of a sudden, I did not know he was going to do this. This is the funniest part. You have to laugh. I'm here, and the guy just immediately, without telling me, gets on the other side of the hump, and we are face to face like this, and I look up, and he's right here. And I go, whoa, you're going to ride too? Like, I did not anticipate the ride. Now watch, here it comes. And so as soon as he gets on there, he gives a little bub up, and boom, it stands up. What you don't know about camels is they stand up from the rear first. So I go forward, man kiss him, basically. The next legs, and he man kisses me, and then we begin to just ride. Watch. There's Kennedy, all right? Oh, didn't, I look up, I'm like, he gives him a bub up. There goes the bub up, watch me. Ho, ho, man kiss. And I am terrified at this point because he gave him another bump bump. And I said, no bump bump because I didn't want him to run. So he's, there's monkey. You can't see the monkeys. But I'm telling you, I'm like, he keeps bump bumping him. And I'm, and I'm yelling at the guy. Here, I'll show you. You got to see little Kennedy. I start yelling. Start, watch, he's going to run to try to scare the camel. Watch, I'm like, I'm yelling at him right here. Get out of here. Watch out for monkeys, you're going to make me run. Look, look how far I'm sitting back on the camel. Oh, my gosh. This is a great sermon, Dave. You're just riding a camel. Uh, but he's bup-bupping him, and I'm saying, stop bup-bupping. And he keeps whipping him with that stick. And I'm like, we're going to fly off. Here's the end. I just want to look how little Kennedy is. Six years old. Watch him run back. Mom, I love you. You have pretty blonde hair. All right, that's it. You can shut it off. So the, that, was, that was the camel. What you couldn't hear in the audio was the deep, deep belly laughing that Sarah was doing, pure joy and happiness watching me ride uh, this camel better than when we got married and had children. It's a wonderful experience. Um, but why do I tell that story? It's Christmas, there's camels at the nativity, everybody knows that. Um, but we're, we're on this pursuit of these kind of experiences, right? Happiness. Uh, we want to be happy, we don't want to be sad. We want to feel satisfied and glad, we don't want to be down. And humanity has been experiencing this for a long time. Augustine said, uh, almost 16 centuries ago, he said, I am not alone in the desire for happiness, nor are there only a few who share it with me. Without exception, we all long for happiness that they, humans, may all search for it in different ways, but all try their hardest to what? Reach the same goal, and that is joy. That's what we're after on most levels. We're after that joy, that happiness, that you can experience it, but if you've Live life long enough, you kind of figure out this whole thing about being happy, right? Like this idea of being happy is this, it's temporary. It's, it's not enough. It's, it's constantly like falling through our finger, fingers. The harder you try to just be happy and good all the time, the more impossible uh, that it feels, right? And to me, like the only way I can look at it is like happiness is like sand or water. Like you can pick up the sand, but eventually it just comes through your fingers, or you can, cu you can cup the ocean water, and it's there, and you have it, you experience it, but eventually it goes all out, and we just spend a lot, a lot of time just constantly through life just trying to pick it up and possess it and hold something that just constantly just evades us over time. Happiness, right? 
And, and you know, the human condition, we're, it's funny, like we can, everything, everything could be going good. Like we're feeling good, we're feeling fine, I got no real problems. I mean, work is fine, kids are fine, life is fine, and you find yourself just not feeling happy. You ever felt like that? You're like, why? Have you ever been in that place where you ask yourself, like, why am I not happy? I want to be happy. Nothing's really wrong, but I just don't feel good. And that's when things are good. And what happens when things aren't good? When, like, things are falling apart, right? And, like, things feel messed up. Parts of your life just feel like they're ruined. There's no recovery. You're down. You can't feel. How are you supposed to feel happy then? If life is just about being happy and you got all these things that are happening to you, what do we do? What do we do? I don't think about what we do. We numb. We cover up. We try to medicate ourselves somehow. We try to cover up what we're dealing with. It's the human condition. You know, we look for happiness in relationships, and when those fail, then what do we do? We look for happiness in friendships, and when those go sideways, then what do we do? We try to numb. We find ways to numb ourselves. We get down. We get lost. We get lonely. Sometimes this stuff can lead to addictions, right? The numbing. We try to cover it up. Entertainment, right? Maybe the way we entertain ourselves is a way that we numb that feeling of not being able to hold on to something that we long for, this idea of being just glad in heart, like it says in Ecclesiastes, just to be occupied with gladness. We had a special speaker uh, during tribe. His, his name was Nate Larkin. I talked to Chris Russell about this a few days ago, and he said something super profound. He said a bunch of stuff, but he was talking specifically about uh, addiction, and he said, with the thing with addiction, it's not the substance that's the problem. Whatever it is that you're addicted to, the, the whole idea is it's the, that's your solution that you're trying to use to fix the problem. The problem's deeper. It's not about the specific thing that you're addicted to, and I think he's right. I think he's on to something, you know, the human condition. We, we, I think everybody in the room is kind of picking up what I'm, what I'm trying to say. So let's, let's bring God into this picture. Okay, let's bring God's condition. That's kind of the human condition, but let's bring God himself into this picture, right? Who he is, his condition is absolutely and completely opposite of ours. God is happy within himself. At his very essence, he is happy. This is a quote uh, from 1250 AD from a guy named Thomas Aquinas, who's a uh, theologian and philosopher. He says, God is happiness by his essence, for he is happy, this I thought was very profound, not by acquisition or participation of something else, but by his essence, who he is. On the other hand, men are happy by participation. At his very core, his very essence, no one is, he's not needing to get anything, he's not acquiring it, he just is happy. He, in himself, uh, if you, this other, there's another uh, common uh, theologian I want to refer to, I'll tell you in a second, his name's Richard Moeller. He's been one of the most careful theologians of our current time. He's wrote over 18 different books since 1985 on theology and uh, scripture. If you Google commentary on this or commentary on that, a lot of times the Richard Mueller stuff will pop up. Listen to this golden theological nugget this guy figured out. 18 books, digging through scripture, and this is what he says. God is essentially blessed and happy. So he pour, he writes all these books, he digs through scripture, and when he talks about it, he says, God, at his core, at his essence, who he is, he's blessed and he's happy. Right Now let's take it a step further. I'm going to start throwing these scriptures at you. It's super cool. you got to get excited with me. Not only is this true about who God is and what he's like, 
every, then he had, you know, this idea that God is happy and blessed. Everywhere that God's presence goes, he creates happiness. He creates joy. He creates gladness. His presence itself. So everywhere, and when you, when you begin to dig through these scriptures, you're gonna look, we're going to look at, you can see that the supernatural origin of this concept that we have of happiness reverberates in and out of this world eternally. It's different than this temporary happiness, and that's what Christian joy is. I thought this was going to be easy talking about joy when I started to dig into this thing. There are over 16 different words in Hebrew that describe joy and happiness. 16. There's so much in Scripture uh, that talks about this idea of God himself at his essence having joy. Psalm 1611. This is so cool. You have made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness, completeness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Everywhere that God's presence goes, he creates joy and happiness. It emanates from who he is. First Chronicles 16, 27, honor and majesty surround him. Strength and joy fill his dwelling, fill his presence. Where he goes, his presence creates happiness. Amazing. Happiness is good. And we can't attain it in this world. It's good to pursue it. But this kind of thing that emanates from God, this, old, this whole otherworldly worldly concept of happiness, gladness, and joy can cross the boundaries of time and eternity. And this world cannot touch it. There is nothing in this world that can give you this kind of joy. It only comes to the human soul from God. He's the only one that can give it to you. In fact, it talks about that uh, in Ecclesiastes, that he's the only one that enables your heart to feel that type of gladness. It's a gift. It's a gift that only God can put in our hearts, and in fact, it's a gift and it's a fruit. If you look at uh, some of Paul's writings about the fruits of the Spirit, what are they? Love, joy. They come from, when, you, when the person gets regenerated, when you get reborn and the Spirit of God lives inside you, he begins to work on you and, and grow these, these gifts, grow these fruits, and you can experience them. And, if you look at them, they're basically just descriptions of God's nature and character. He is love. He is joy. He is peace. He is patience. And he grows those things internally on the soul level in the Christian. Everywhere God's presence goes, joy and happiness are created. And you see it most clearly. It's Christmas time. It's Advent, right? Joy to the world. We just read that awesome scripture uh, about uh, John the Baptist leaping for joy in his mother's womb. Right, Jesus is in the very nature of God, Scripture says. He is, he is God just as much as he is man, and he is our representation. He is the invisible God made visible. That is God in human form. He is the epitome of what we say, God is love. Jesus is our example of joy. He is this kind of joy. It's in him. Everywhere that, he's not even, he's not even outside the womb yet, and people, when he comes close, people just start experiencing this thing called joy that's supernatural. Luke 2, very famous Christmas passage. Uh, the shepherds and all them are looking for, uh, they got their camels, and they're looking for this new bo uh, baby to be born. <laughs> Thank you very much. The camel joke. Um, and the angels show up, and they start proclaiming what? That he's here. Do not be afraid, it says. I bring you good news with great that will cause what? Great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, 
A Savior has been born to you, the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be your sign. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Joy to the world. Jesus is on the earth, the very nature of God, and Jesus just walked around super happy all the time, right? He was just full of joy, and nothing in this human skin bothered him all. He was just like, oh, walking on water, singing to people, right? No. Jesus is our example for joy, but did he experience grief? Did he experience pain? Did he experience sorrow? It's kind of strange to think about Jesus being our example of this supernatural joy when Isaiah says that um, he was a man, this is what it says, he was known as a man of sorrows and bore our grief. Biblical joy and this concept of gladness does not deny sorrow and grief. I want to make sure that we're not going to pretend like, all right, we're Christians, let's just fake it. Like, I don't feel right, so if I'm a Christian, I just got to cover it up. I got to pretend like I'm not experiencing trouble in the heart. I'm not experiencing pain. I'm not experiencing grief. This kind of joy that comes from God does not deny that grief and sorrow. In fact, Jesus in the garden, remember, just the night before he goes to the cross, he says that his soul was deeply grieved to the point of death that he began to sweat blood. He told his disciples that. He was experiencing grief. He cried over Lazarus' death, his buddy. Biblical joy does not deny sorrow and grief. In fact, when Jesus in earthly skin, he actually says, mourn, Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you that mourn. Don't cover it up. You don't have to fake it. Blessed are you that mourn. It's real. Feel it. It's okay. This is Jesus now, right? But then what does he say? Blessed are those that mourn for what they shall be comforted. And this is where this concept of joy comes in. Jesus says, mourn, it's okay to feel it, but comfort is coming, restoration is coming, renewal is coming. He's gonna use this joy to restore us, to strengthen us, repair us again. And sometimes in our life, he'll do it right in the middle of the agony. He'll show up and you'll, you, it, it, even when you're hurting at your worst, he shows up and brings you this, this gift that we need, this supernatural gladness of heart. Psalm 34, 18, I love this verse. Eric does too. This means a lot to me from different parts of my past. It says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And he saves those that are crushed in spirit. Um, we've been dealing with a lot of grief at our home over the last few weeks. We just lost my mother-in-law, Celeste, uh, just before Thanksgiving. And so there's been a lot of mourning and grieving. And I, I made a bet with my kids that I wouldn't cry. Uh, and I'm not going to because I'm the cry guy. Uh, but yeah, so we, it's been bad. And I'll tell you, uh, I have, you know, you have the four kids telling my children, and they were very close to Celeste. She was a wonderful woman, a godly person. Uh, and we miss her deeply, but telling them that Sarah was already got on a plane and flew to go see, get to her mom in the hospital. And I was at home and then to tell my kids that they lost her was like, since I've been loving those four, just like one of the hardest things I've ever done. Um, I've got permission to talk about it before I got up here and say it, but telling my sons was a very physical response. Like I told them and I could, you could see it that you had the tension in their bodies and they cried a little bit, but differently, their reactions were different than the girls, but they, they went right into man mode. They're 16 and 19 and they're like, well, what's going to happen to poppy or grandpa? Like they're already like, okay, we have to take care of things because that's what men do, right? We don't, we just push the emotions aside and we work towards fixing stuff. And, and that was their response. Well, the girls, I told the girls first we were on our porch, and it was just deep, 
soul level crying, man, just sobs. And Sadie, my 13-year-old, her response was one of the most authentic, raw, just true to the moment words I ever said. Just through deep tears, she just cried out, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to say through tears? That was what she said. It was like, I'm looking at her and I'm like, Wow, that is the exact emotion that we feel at those deep moments of loss and grief, right? And then Kaylee, my 16-year-old on my left, her first uh, just response was anger, but then immediately, and here's where Psalm 34 comes in, through tears she stopped, and I felt good, the presence of God. And she's immediately, I mean, she just lost her grandmother that she loved, and she said out loud to the, on the porch with all of us, she said, just a year ago, we were riding, I was riding with Grandma through the mountains of North Carolina, and she looked over at me, and she said, Kaylee, have you ever heard that song, It Is Well With My Soul? She said, Kaylee, girl, it is well with my soul, because she had that joy. She had experienced the presence of God in her own heart, in her own soul, in her own life, and when he comes close, he creates that joy. And Kaylee, in that moment, I don't even know if she realized the Spirit of God came and just comforted us with joy that's out of this earth outside of this place. It was beautiful. Didn't cry. <laughs> right, so why am I telling you this is supposed to be joy day? I'm sorry. I started with a camel. I'll bring it back to you. Grief, but I just, the human experience is raw and real and it hurts. And I don't want to pretend like it's not. And so I didn't want to just skip back and get up here and just only say be happy. Don't worry about anything. Uh, but after that thing with the girls and I started to work on this message, I, 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 I thought about this whole thing with how could she so quickly go from grief to, to, to gladness and make me glad just by being around them. Um, I found this connection in, in Scripture. Joy and grief in Scripture are connected. Joy and mourning, joy, and here's where it goes. Grief, uh, a mourning, sadness, but the, when this joy, the presence of God comes near, res restoration are connected. Joy and renewal, a renewed strength for the joy set before him was our restoration, our renewal, our redemption, and our weakness, Scripture says, he is strong in our weakness and our brokenness and our loneliness. And in our grief, you see in these passages that God's presence moved towards us to give us strength, to comfort us, and like a good father, give us that joy that we need to be restored, because that's what he's like. He's a restorer. And you see it all over the pages of, of the Bible. In the book of Nehemiah, we'll read from there. In the book of Hebrews and Jesus' own words in John. So in Nehemiah 8, the very famous um, uh, joy statement, I'm going to read it to you. But if you don't know, I'll tell you really quick. The book of Nehemiah and Ezra, he was the prophet. Uh, the Israelites messed up. They ruined their life. They sinned. Babylon comes in and just destroys the whole place. Gone. Get led off into slavery for 70 years. They're slaves, exiles in Babylon, and Jerusalem's ruined. Everything's a mess. Their whole heritage, their whole life has just been destroyed, uh, and it's terrible. And so Nehemiah, he actually works for, for the, the king of Babylon. Seventy years later, his brother shows up, and he said, hey, man, our homeland looks terrible. I just went by there. And Nehemiah gets grieved in the heart, right? And the Bible says he begins to mourn and weep and cry and pray to God. Like, everything about us is ruined. We're just slaves. We're just exiles. We, we have no rights of our own. We have no home anymore. And he's crying out to God, and God begins to... Uh, hatch a plan for uh, restoration. And so he does. Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem. He brings people, ex start, exiles start coming back. They're going to rebuild this wall. And what is wall? The wall represents strength. 
protection of God. So they're going to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So they bring everybody together. Ezra reads from the scriptures, all the people that are going to help restore this place, and all the people start to reckon their past, reckon their sin, reckon their ruin, and they begin to, to mourn and weep. So listen to what Nehemiah and Ezra say. This is very famous. Uh, it says, the Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said, and this day is holy to, your, to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law when they reckoned the ruin in their lives. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Sweet drinks, I just think it's funny. Um, and said to some of them, and so sweet drinks and send to those that have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. And here it is, do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Have you ever heard that? The joy of the Lord is your strength. It's on grandma's bathroom. Aww. Oh, it's very famous. And here's what I found. That word joy is only, in, in Hebrew, that particular word is only used twice in the Old Testament, right here and once in that passage in, Chron in Chronicles. And it's deep. The imagery, there's an imagery behind this type of joy. It's basically like the picture of God's joy being like an invitation. It's a, like a doorway, a doorway into him. Like, and that only he can possess, only he can give this invitation of joy. There's nothing in you that can bring you closer to him. It's a joy, an invitation through a door. And to the ancient uh, Hebrews, this would have been very significant. To invite somebody through the threshold of your house, remember this whole concept of hospitality, was covenantal. It was, a, it was a symbolic, like we are going to enter into a covenantal relationship. And so the joy of the Lord is your strength, Right? Uh, he, he's the only one who can create this joy and this invitation, this doorway. Are you tracking with me? Keep going with me. The joy of the Lord is your strength. He's going to strengthen you through this, his joy, this door, this invitation. Who's the only one that can come into our hearts? Who's the only one that can knock on the, that door and we can open it to him? Who's the only one that can save us in our human condition? His name is Jesus, only Jesus. He is the joy of of our, he's the joy of the Lord. He's the joy of our strength. Hebrews 12. Now take that picture, that perspective, and listen to what Jesus says. Hebrews 2, for the joy set before him. That joy, that invitation, that door for the joy set before him, us, he endured. He endured what? To bring us back into a covenant relationship with God. This was his joy. He, he endured the cross. Do you see it? He pours out what? His strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. He pours out he was, he had the closest, he was God. He pours out his strength to what? Strengthen me, restore me, redeem me, to redeem you. This is Jesus. This was the joy set before him. I was the joy set before him. You were the joy set before him. This is what Jesus is like. This is why he died. Listen to what Jesus says about this cross that he's fixing to bear with these eyes. This is actually really cool. This is just before he's about to go uh, a few days before this whole thing happens and he's preparing his disciples. Now listen to these words. It's so awesome. Jesus said, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Remember fruit, joy, love, peace, and prove to be my disciples. As the father has what loved me, we had that relationship. I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. What just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Now you ready? Look at these. These things I have spoken to you that my joy, my invitation, that, that, that bringing together of God's presence may be in you and that your joy may be full. 
fullness, completed. He does the completed work through the cross, the joy set before him on the cross. He brings us back into God's presence, and there's nothing in us that could do it. Jesus is amazing. It's not in our strength or our ability to love God or enjoy him. It comes only from him in his ability to enjoy us. He joys in us. Scripture says that he delights in us. He loves us. He invites us into relationship, restoration, renewal, joy, restoration. They're connected. This is the joy of the Lord. It's cool. It's really cool. Not going to cry. With this perspective, all right, you can see how uh, uh, God intends to be near to us. When his presence comes near to us, yes, he wants us to be happy in this life and glad and live a good, full life. But he also wants to strengthen us, restore us continually as we walk through this, this, our time on earth. Now look at this in 2 Corinthians 12. Look at the joy in this. This is a famous passage too. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made what? In my weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly or joyfully or happily about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. This is why for Christ's sake, I do what? I delight. I joy in weakness and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. Because why? Because what happens? The joy of the Lord makes me strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. And how about this in Habakkuk 3, I key James verse. I love the poetry of these Old Testament prophets. Uh, he's talking about how everything's ruined, nothing's working, this is such a cool verse. It says, although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall the fruit bear in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall no long, yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herds in the stalls. You ready for this? This is awesome. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. For what happens, the Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hind's feet. He will shore up my feet when I am weak, and he will make me to walk upon mine hind places, my hard places. He comes in in joy. It's his joy that strengthens us, and he gives us the ability to walk through the hard places of our own lives. This is what God is like. Is this not what we need? Do we not need him to come and fill us with this joy and strengthen us up? Is this not what our world needs? Could we not preach this message that, yes, things are hard. I know things are difficult, but God comes to give you joy. And in that joy, he strengthens your life. He gives you hind's feet and makes you to walk through the valley of the shadow of the death. And you're not alone when you do. See, this kind of joy, and now I'm going to challenge you a little bit. If we were to reckon this and realize, yes, this is in me and I need to function this way, if we were to walk around with this type of joy, it has a, a, a missional property to it. Have you ever been around someone, and Sarah's mom was very much like this, that just had a gladness of heart that was attractive, just happy, but beyond just saying, well, that person's happy, like you're around them and you want what they have? All of us have met somebody like that. That's the joy of the Lord. The world needs that. This is the true destiny of the human heart, the human condition, is when you get saved in, in, in Jesus' name, when he makes you new, he strengthens you with joy. And people need that. Our world needs that. More now than ever, we've got to bring them this message of Jesus. And what is the message that he restores, that he died for you, and that the God of the universe delights in you, that he loves you. He's not just, he loves you, like really loves you like a father loves a son. I'm going to throw one more poetic verse at you, and then uh, we're going to sing. But in Zephaniah 3.17, this is a famous passage too, but I want you to see that joy, that, those eyes of joy in this passage. It says, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great 
delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you. Why? Because he's restored you. But he will rejoice over you with singing. The king of the universe takes great delight in you, and he will rejoice over you with singing. Amazing words from Scripture. That the God of the universe is like a good dad that loves us and delights in us and joys in us and would do anything to get us back into his presence so he could sing over us. It's Christmas time. We just got our Christmas tree uh, and I usually hate that part because it's a mess and the dogs are, you know, all the bah humbug, sorry. Um, but yeah, this year it's been a little different. We've just been going through all this stuff with Sarah's mom, and so I'm trying to be more festive and not complain as much. Um, so we get the, you know, you don't just have an empty spot in your house where it's like, this is christened for the tree. Nothing will sit here for 12 months until the tree goes, no, you fill it back up with stuff. And so we had to rearrange our living room and move some stuff. And I found these, our guitars, where that's like, I got to get these, these guitars that I haven't played in a long time out of the way. And we're going to get the tree in there. And so we get the tree in place and I pull up uh, Kaylee's old guitar. It's a little baby Martin. It's called a small one. And I hadn't played it in a long time because I'm not good. Um, and the strings were old, and I sat on the thing. Asher was laying on the couch, and I tried to tune this thing, and one of the strings was like, bing, it broke, you know. And uh, I'm using my phone app to try to tune this guitar. And, I'm, and Sarah's, you know, starting to mess with the tree, and I'm trying to play this thing, but it's too, it's too far gone. It needs new strings. And Asher, he's 19, he looks over, and he goes, yeah, old dad. Keep doing it, dad. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, bing, 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 it sounds terrible. And I was a youth pastor, so all youth pastors can play guitar. Uh, but you only have to know G, C, D, and E. That's all basically worship songs. I mean, I don't know about these modern ones, but, you know, and I would play them, you know, hey, Pastor Dad, you know. And, but here's the thing. Asher, Asher says, yeah, keep doing that, Dad, old Dad. And he started to remind me about when my kids were really little. And uh, I would play the guitar for them, and I'd sing over them in the bathroom. They'd go in there to take a shower or a bath, and I'd sit on the toilet, and I'd play my songs. And, I, and thinking about that, I felt so much happiness. I'm like, I would sing in there, and they'd be in there laying in the bath, my little babies, and I'd be singing over my babies, right? Or in bed, I'd put them to bed, and I'd go in there, and I'd play, and I'd sing over them when they're trying to go to bed, and I loved it. I remembered how much I loved it, so much joy. All these memories came back. I loved it. I wouldn't, tr- it was it was so good to sing over them and, and, and love them that way. That's what God is like in the places that he cleanses us like that bath and those places where he restores us and cleanses the sin off of us. He's, he's not just doing it begrudgingly. He's singing in delight over us. This is what he's like, right? In those places where he's giving us rest, rest and comfort. He's, he's delighting and he's seeing us over us because he loves us and he died for us. Man, let's let this joy root in our hearts so that it can nourish us, but also nourish the world. We can consume it. We can, we can feel God's presence, but we got to give it to the people around us, right? This type of joy, if you have it in your heart, if you, if you go near to God, why? Because his presence brings us in. This joy will tell your heart. It'll speak to your soul and it'll say, hey, I know things are bad right now, but he's going to make all things new. Behold, I make all things new. That's what we need. That's what the world needs. Let's bring this message of the gospel that God delights in us and that Jesus saves and nothing else does. Will you stand? Father, all right, yeah. Crap, we're up. <laughs> uh, I'm going to pray. Thank you for clapping. God, it's been, uh, it's been real. I showed the camel. I appreciate all these people being here, but what I want more than anything, God, is for us to, to reckon the fact that you're close. 
that your presence is near, that when you come close, joy comes and happiness comes and that occupied heart of gladness, gladness is possible. And I pray for every person in this room, including myself, that we would be able to tap into your presence, not be distracted by the things going on around us, but to really have a moment with you.